0: This event was recorded live at the 2017 Edinburgh International Book Festival.
1: I'd like to to get into that boy's head in that moment and, and understand everything that happened to him in his body, in his whole person. I just want to understand. She'd just discovered something important, a, a crucial link in the investigation that she'd been working on for... More than a year. She had pictures, oral testimonies, singular data that connected one story to another. And above all, she had names. The authors, the leaders and the starving workmen who were assigned to those tunnels. The clandestine tunnels to smuggle whatever. Trade in those tunnels is hideous. Those tunnels are made to smuggle and trade substances, people, organs, weapons, everything that may be negotiated in a dark, inhumane, brutal way. Stone Age tunnels. The most archaic social architecture. She discovered something awful. The deepest layer of corruption. Why did a committed journalist decide to dig into brutal corruption despite being a mother? She knew, she thought about it more than once, the risk. The risk wasn't only hospital grade insomnia, it was her own embroidering of a tragedy. It was irreversible. She wasn't an ignorant woman. She knew what she was knitting, like Oedipus, her destiny, her fatal ending. Why didn't she doubt? Why why did she set her journalistic hunger above her motherhood? That's what her son thinks. Her sister. Her friends. Everybody. Me. Her murderer appeared. An anonymous message. Written in a dirty, wrinkled paper dropped in the street. The message accuses a so called The 80, a mythical nickname. The 80 is called this because of his favours, of his generosity, of his talent in giving favours. He used to say this to his followers I give you 80% more than anyone, more than the government. And it's true. He fed families, favored the weakest, hired the confused young people. He was always 80 times more generous than anybody. And heroes, heroes are beautiful, even if they're not. Their charisma becomes them. But the 80 has something particularly beautiful. His face is like an angel's. He has clear green eyes. He's chubby, childish, full lips. If you watch him walking along the street or or buying toys in the supermarket, you might think, what a good father, what a sweet man. You might even think that he's a handsome man you might go for a drink with. Hey, you, hey, look at me, here I am you'd get into his car. Even if he's a total unknown to you. Because his good person face is terribly charming. Bad people don't have bad people faces. It's a mistake from nature. Talking about this, I realize that this story isn't a tragedy, it's a comedy. I, as a passive observer, am ignorant. He, the criminal beast, is despicable. We're both actors or or characters, laughable protagonists of an entertainment story for all the people who go with the flow. They'll laugh and be right indeed. Why not? Considering that we, observers and murderers, are the clowns of our time.
2: Maids by Jimena Escalante. Scene one. The maid is standing up alone in the middle of the kitchen, a little suitcase beside her feet. A jumper hangs from her arms. She observes everything, recognizing the place. Her nervous hands tangle up. One scratches the other. The silence breaks with strong steps and elegant shoes slowly approaching. She's the missus of the house. She watches the maid, smells the atmosphere. Then she inspects her in detail.
3: I've just arrived to work at your house. I know. It's better that you call me ma'am. Yes, ma'am. I've just arrived to work at your home.
1: Every three months, I'll take you to the doctor and have blood tests made on you. Blood tests, ma'am? Tuberculosis and gynecological tests, amongst others. You'll take care of my home and my husband. You must be healthy. I'm healthy, ma'am. Why do you look at me like that?
3: You're talking? I'm listening, ma'am.
1: because your, your eyes, so intense.
3: Sorry, ma'am, I'll never look at your eyes when you're speaking.
1: It's better not to look at our faces directly, ever. Scene two, in the kitchen, the maid washes the dishes. Mister enters, he watches the maid and before going to his work, he greets her.
2: Maid? Sir? I just wanted to meet you. You're the new maid? Yes. Indeed. I see. Do you like the house? Yes, sir. And that's all? Sorry? Sir? You don't have anything else to say? I like the
3: tree in the garden. Ah,
2: I didn't realize how much it's grown.
3: I don't have anything else to say. That's okay. He inspects her more. Sir? What? May I leave now? Where? To my duties.
2: Well, you're in a hurry. No. Then you can wait.
3: Yes. S- sir. What's wrong? It's just that. Hmm? You're watching me deeply.
2: Do you think so?
3: You're. getting closer.
2: Give me your hand. Which one? This one. You smell clean. Yes,
1: I'm clean. He circles her, analyzing her as if she were an animal. Your breath on my neck,
3: on my back, on my face, in my eyes, in my mouth. You're breathing fast, very fast. Sir, I have (laughs) <laughs> something it's, it's different goosebumps my face is burning I'm very hot you're giving me warmth sir sorry but can I leave? where do you want to go? may I go to the bathroom? are you wet? sorry sir I I don't know what I'm feeling I feel something new Something that I've never felt before. Something that you provoke in me.
2: Are you scared? A little. Why are you laughing? Sir. What?
3: It's just that hmm? you're looking at me deeply. You're getting closer, then closer. Yes. He touches her neck. Sir, you're very, very close to me. And? I feel... I feel that I can hear your mind. He touches her breasts. Or I feel you step on my thoughts. Thoughts? You're stepping on my shadow. I mean, sorry, sir.
1: I don't know what I'm saying. Sorry. He touches her belly. She doesn't understand. He kisses her breasts. She's scared. What's going on? She doesn't understand, and... What's happening, sir? He unbuttons her dress. She buttons it back. He unbuttons it again, and licks her skin. She gets scared, and... Easy. It's because... Yes? Sir.
2: Hmm?
3: You're watching my naked body. He touches the maid between her legs. You're letting something in your body be faster than your hands. My hands. It's... Something is happening. What is it?
1: What is it? He kisses her. She doesn't understand. He kisses again and again. She obeys. And... Sir. It hurts.
2: Better not to talk.
1: Yes, sir. As you wish. He undresses her completely, and there, on the kitchen table, or wherever he can, makes love to her, and everything is in silence.
2: Scene three. The maid washes the dishes in the kitchen when.
1: Your innocence, ma'am. You're a floozy. Slut! I haven't done anything. It was him. Don't look down. Look at my eyes. Face me. Yes. You don't know how much I want to break you.
2: She pulls her hair.
1: But I have to take care of you.
2: The maid ties her hair back.
1: I want to go home. You're not going anywhere. Because I have to take care of you. I can take care of myself. Yourself? You are nobody. I'm... You're made. I'm in a cage. You locked me like in a jail in my own house. I want to go home. Slut. Cat. You're a hot pussy walking on the roofs and then you pretend to escape by the dark alleys. Pussy. Where? In my bed? On my dining table? On my floor? Over my clothes? How? How did you lay down under my husband? Where? I'm leaving, ma'am. You're not going anywhere. You're staying here. Just like me. In this jail. We both live together. Why? That son, or daughter, or whatever you carry in that womb is mine. It's mine, lives inside me. Your words, your feelings, your thoughts, everything that is yours now belongs to me. That being will live there. I will raise him, or her, as if it were mine. Mine. Will have all the privileges and rights that my child must have. But it's my child. One. It's mine. Two. You will never tell the child the truth. Three, you understand that this is the better way for all of us. Four, I'll try to love that child. Nobody ever explained to me
3: at home or back in my town the things that would happen to me. This is a robbery. How do you explain to a cat that she's a cat?
1: How? I'm not an animal. You're worse. You're flesh intruding on my house, flesh with sex entering my bed, flesh with lies, flesh looking for more flesh in my home's halls. You're a flesh that builds my jail and our cage. You and I, we both live locked. You in my home, me in your body. (laughs)
2: and tomorrow by Steph Smith the play is set anywhere there is a border we are in a dressing room clothes and wigs are hung up lights are lit around a mirror and makeup is sprawled everywhere it's a simple setup but not without its charm. S has just found out she's pregnant. She's unsure who the father is.
1: What will you do?
3: I've thought about leaving. About trying to cross the border. You can't. I don't I- want to
1: get rid of the baby. Because of... Because of God? When was the last time you saw God around here? I don't think you have much choice. You're not my mother. You are not. I know! But how else are you going to make money? And how the hell are you going to cross that border? I'll run. Are you fucking kidding? I'll run. It's just a fence. Just a line in the goddamn ground. And people spend years trying to cross that goddamn line in the ground. All over the world, people's lives are spent trying to cross a line in the goddamn ground. And if you don't get shot, or arrested, or impaled in the process, what will you do when you get to the other side? I have family.
3: She said she would come back. I know. She said she would come back for me. I know.
1: They always say they'll come back.
3: She's not a bad mother. She just... I know. I just thought I could teach myself some English. Maybe I could find something else to do. I thought it would...
1: I thought I could maybe... Be careful of hope. It can be a prison that you build for yourself and there are enough walls in this city. I thought he loved me. I thought that just this once... It it was just this way, this way he touched me. Sex has nothing to do with love. And I should know I've sold it for long enough. I've danced for it long enough. Sex has nothing to do with love. Nothing looks less like love than two people thrashing into each other. Sex looks like death. Sex is closer to death than love, and that's why people are drawn to it. We're attracted to death. Don't leave.
3: Well, I can't stay. You hate this city.
1: You hate this country, why are you saying I should stay? Because this is our home. As damaged and deranged and dark as it may be, this this country is my home. And I hate it, and I, I love it so much that the love is almost like a form of grief. You know, sometimes I wish I had done it differently, but the truth is, I can't see how I would have done it differently. For women like us, for women who are born with nothing and leave the earth with even less. Uh, It never changes. No matter where in the world you find yourself. It's got to change. I'll change it. How in the hell are you going to get a whole
3: goddamn world to change? Well, it can't get any fucking worse. And I... I am not like you. I want to have hope and dreams and I... I refuse. I refuse to think that this is it. That it's normal, because this isn't normal. It is our normal. No, this is your normal. And as long as I breathe, I hope. How dare you say I shouldn't. Just trying to protect you. I know.
1: And that's what makes it so fucking awful. Those women stopped me earlier. Those women from the charity asked me for my details. What did you say? I said I was born on the wrong side of the border. And they asked me what border I meant. And I said all of them. I can't be bothered to dance. When you won. Next. Security said there's a group of women there. Journalists or something. Hmm. All sitting there, pretending to enjoy their warm beers. Looking at us. <laughs> You think they want to write about us? it will just be some other nameless, faceless hookers living on a broken border town? I bet I'll sell millions in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. We'll still be here, dancing the same routines to men with penises the size of my pinky. <laughs> Having said that, Hollywood will probably relocate the story to Korea, or Thailand, or Italy, or China, or Turkey, or Greece, or Somalia. Well, maybe or- that won't be my story. Maybe my story will be different. Maybe. What will you do? About the baby? About the boy? Well...
3: Tonight... I dance and fuck a man who is willing to pay. And tomorrow...
1: uh, And tomorrow... And tomorrow... uh, I am music starting. I'm <laughs> making us dance to Beyonce tonight. It'll be good. Americans love to da- Americans love it when we dance to her. I like that lemonade album. <laughs> Go on, sooner you start, sooner you can stop. Have a good one. Hope the fuckers pay Hope the
3: fuckers pay.
4: Thank you for that. Those plays were performed by Scarlett Mack, Lindsay Campbell and Devon Dwyber. Please give them a round of applause. And now please welcome to the stage that we've set up wrongly now because our water is behind us, but we'll, we'll go with the flow anyway. Please welcome Jiménez Escalante and Steph Smith. Can you hear me? Lovely. Um, For those of you who don't know, Outriders was a project created by the Edinburgh International Book Festival that took place throughout this year that saw five leading Scottish playwrights travel across the Americas with five, not playwrights, five writers, excuse me, one of whom was a playwright, two playwrights, one of the Scottish ones was a playwright, and they were traveling with five, we'll compromise. And they traveled with five writers from the home countries and undertook road trips over the course of weeks and reported back to us and they are now writing works based on their travels and inspired by their travels. And that final script excerpt was based, inspired by an evening that the ladies had in Tijuana. Could you raise your hand if you've read the blog? It's really quite outstanding. I'm, I'm saving time for the Q&A at the end so that you can ask about it. Stephanie Jimena, welcome. Thank you, Thank Thank you very you. much for your scripts, we thoroughly enjoyed those. How did you both feel when the Edinburgh International Book Festival asked you to go on a road trip cross the border from San Diego to Tijuana and do a road trip with a writer who you had never met before?
5: sure i'll
6: start um, i remember when i got the email it was on a friday afternoon and i'd had a terrible day of writing it was awful <laughs> and i was sitting at my desk and out of nowhere an email came in from jenny niven who at that time was acting director of the book festival and it said steph we're thinking about this project um we're thinking of sending writers to the americas do you think you'd be up for it <laughs> and there was one very clear answer to that question um and that was yes and it was bizarre I've never had anything to do with the book festival I'm a playwright Uh, playwrights don't particularly tend to populate the book festival Um, so it was very unexpected not only for that but also for the invitation so yeah it was very intriguing as an invitation
5: and uh, for me I received an email an invitation to to come to edit edit folks Uh, and when I received the staff first email, I thought, oh, we are very polite. What are we are <laughs> going to do traveling together if we are so polite both together. And we shared uh, during several months uh, su- different subjects that could be interesting for us. And then I thought, well, it could be a nightmare. If, if we don't have a affinity, if we don't like each other, it could be a nightmare being among, uh, I don't know, one month together. So I thought, the first time is is the the main, is the the most important moment of us. So I thought the best thing to do this first night is to go outside all the night. In Tijuana is the best place. So we don't have to talk. (laughs) Let's be together and share and look each other and what do you feel and that's what we did. The first night we didn't talk all the night. We were with another playwrights from Tijuana friends of mine, and we were uh, eating, drinking, dancing, walking. (laughs) We arrived at our hotel very early in the morning, and then the next day I felt that we have been together since always. (laughs) I felt that she's my friend from my childhood, So we didn't. We talk all the trouble. We we have time to to talk all the the next weeks, and we didn't to know who are you because I knew it since the first moment, since the first night.
4: Steph, could you tell us about the border, about crossing the border and looking for the wall?
6: Yeah, so it was really interesting. We've—I uh, actually flew into San Diego, um, and I was to meet Jimena in Tijuana. Um, I was uh, greeted by Carissa, who looked after the uh, Mexican, the the American outriders. Yes, Chris is
4: our project manager from the U.S. who made it all possible on that side of the country.
6: Um, she was with us that, that night. That night, that we
4: talk. About we need to talk well. about this <laughs> night in Tijuana. <laughs>
6: um, and so. Uh, we spent the day together investigating San Diego. We walked along the beach. We saw Obama's favorite hotel. It was all, it was lovely. We had this gorgeous day together. And then we were like, okay, let's cross the border. And uh, I remember we were like, we bought bottles of water. We were like, can we take bottles of water over the border? What does that mean? And uh, we had our passports, and we were ready to be searched. We'd, put, we'd think we'd put aside about four hours to cross the border. So we're on the highway, and... Uh, we're driving along and it says, last exit to USA sign, we pass that. And we're like, oh God, we're definitely going to Mexico now. And uh, we drive through this big concrete labyrinth that takes ages. You've got to drive five miles an hour. Um, and we're looking at each other going, okay, okay, and there's like security guards everywhere. And then I went, I think we might be in Mexico already.
1: <laughs> and, it turned
6: out, and it turned out we crossed the border without even knowing we'd crossed the border. Um, it was really underwhelming. But in actually quite an interesting way because we just drove straight across it. Not literally. No one even high fived me. Never mind got a stamp in my passport. Um, it was honestly like accident we ended up there. Um, and the only reason we knew is because all the road signs suddenly turned into Spanish. Um, ironically, on the way home it took Chris um, four hours to cross the border the other direction.
4: Um, so that was interesting. Yeah. And it turned out that you were. In Mexico illegally. I mean, it turned
6: out I was illegal but in Mexico she only for a month, t- She only sorry. told me when,
4: when, when she came home. <laughs>
6: yeah, I know. Uh, we were doing an, uh, an internal flight and somebody asked me for some piece of paper, P-52 or whatever it was, and I was like, what? And, <laughs> and he was like, yeah, you need this piece of paper, you need to go to immigration. And so we got... In Merida, we go to the immigration office, which of course is the most single terrifying place on earth because it's designed to be. And, um, and they went, oh... You should have got that when you crossed the border. Because there's a 35-mile leeway that you can get into Mexico for 35 miles without needing this particular piece of paper. But because i travelled further than that, I needed this particular, like, a tourist visa. And uh, And I remember she said, and you were translating this terrifying woman in immigration who went... If anything happens to you, it's not Mexico's fault. <laughs> and I was like, "Oh my god, what the hell's going to happen to me?" Um, and that was, and interestingly enough, that was the only time I ever felt scared my whole trip. Mm. I didn't feel I didn't feel an inch of fear any other time except when somebody told me I was illegal, which of course is also inter- interesting parallels.
5: I remember your face in that moment. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> don't worry, don't worry. But you really love yes. your color, <laughs>
6: yeah.
4: And, and I'm already pretty pale, so. <laughs>
6: yeah.
4: And Ximena, you travelled with Steph. You, was, you started in Tijuana. You went to Mexico City because you were opening a play in Mexico City, yes. and then you went to Oaxaca, yes. and then to Merida, yeah. And where do you, where do you feel that Steph got the most real glimpses of real Mexico?
5: Mexico is all over the, me- the real Mexico. I don't know
6: how to answer this.
4: Okay, we'll just move on to the next question. Then.
6: <laughs> 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 real Mexico. Well, you
4: said real you didn't Mexico. feel scared oh. at all. Well, let, let
5: me start with something. We don't have one Mexico. No, the word the word Mexico doesn't exist. We have several Mexico. Mm. depending on the north and the center and the south so the the north Mexico is a kind of Mexico Mm -hmm. the center is which we can say Oaxaca is and Merida is exactly another country it's it's like being, for Steph to be in Tijuana, the the border of the north and to be in Merida, almost the border of the south it
6: it means like uh, you you well, stay in different countries. Yeah. It's, the, it's the equivalent of going, um, I've been to Europe, and, and I've been to Madrid, London, Krakow, yeah. and, I don't know, Istanbul. Yeah. It was literally, the culture, was it? the culture, the landscape, the people were as different as that. The only thing that connected people with it was the language. The language, exactly.
5: And even, not, not even in, um, in Merida. Yeah. In Merida, people spoke Mayan. Yes, and Mayan. We went to the theatre and we, w- we saw um, a play wrote that by Sorconines de la Cruz,
6: play, played it, performed it in Mayan. Yeah. I mean, and I felt so stupid. I thought, I genuinely thought, and I'm sure a lot of people do, that Mayan is an ancient culture that's now extinct. I was thought, the way of the Aztecs, right? Oh no, there's seven million Mayan people in the world. Like, it was so, I felt yeah. so um,
4: ignorant in that moment. It was uh, a wake-up for how me. Much, how much of that had you both planned to discover in advance? How much did you, what were you looking for when you went over and did you find it?
5: Well, we, we, we didn't have plans. I think this is the interesting thing of this outriders uh, adventure, no? The, the risk is to not have plans. Just, we, we just knew that we have to go to Tijuana, we have to go to Oaxaca, and that's all. And as soon as we arrived to the different places, we were absolutely naked to receive the, whatever it naked. <laughs> <laughs>
4: just to clarify.
5: Okay. <laughs>
4: Sorry. Because, Steph, you, you were asking yourself, you were challenging yourself to discover what the real truths were, that we get a fairly singular narrative, and our narrative that we hear about Mexico doesn't come from Mexico.
6: No, it comes from Hollywood. When you think of Mexico, you think of the Hollywood, well, the majority of people will conjure an image that we know from Hollywood, Hollywood, which is one of cartels, danger, border crossings. And of course, that was a big part of what we spoke about, particularly in Tijuana, being home of the border. Um, and so I was really interested (laughs) it's really funny Uh, I really wanted to speak to people who wanted to stay in Mexico because I felt like that's a story I hadn't heard Um, all we ever hear is people who want to flee uh, and cross the border and um, I remember that first night in Tijuana we were having drinks with um, Jimenez, playwriting friends in a place called Caesars which was the birthplace of the Caesar salad FYI, Uh, who knew? and and we were having some wine, just one or two. And um, I asked Esmeralda, who was this amazing playwright, and we'd been speaking about the difficulty of what it means to live in Tijuana, the poverty, the separation of cultures. Um, and uh, and I turned and went to her and went, what, "What? you have an American visa, you can live in America, why do you live in Tijuana? Probably one of the most difficult places to live in all of Mexico. Um, why do you live here? And she just looked me dead in the eye without an inch of... Uh, sarcasm. She went, "Why, Tijuana? Well, she gave me everything." And I j- and I remember at that point I was like, "I can't talk to you anymore. I need to go and have a cry." <laughs> and I just remember I picked up my glass of wine and so, and I got a napkin and just did this because I I mean it was such a huge and small answer because she gave me everything. I mean, wow. Well.
4: Okay, tell us about the rest of the night. <laughs>
6: <laughs> uh, <laughs> never been so aware of this my parents possible. being in an audience. <laughs> um,
4: so that night,
6: uh, we, go, we go for dinner um, with uh, three m- uh, female Mexican playwrights who live in Tijuana. They were, they're not uh, from Tijuana, but they have lived there for many years. Um, and I think it was Esmeralda who said, okay, if you want to see Tijuana, real Tijuana, we need to show you some things of the city. Um, and uh, Tijuana is the home of prostitution. In, uh, in Mexico um, and I think it has one of the biggest uh, populations of sex workers in all of the Americas um, it's also really well known for its strip clubs and uh, there's one in particular called Hong Kong uh, which is approximately, it's maybe so it's three levels, four levels and every level is probably double the size of this room so it's big, it's industrious uh, and to cut a, a long story short we managed to get no don't <laughs> um, basically uh, we weren't allowed in because we were females only men are allowed in these clubs um, unless you're working them and uh, we go to this other club which is <laughs> ironically feels really underwhelming now it was just it was a, if you conjure an image of a strip bar it was exactly that so we, we go to that club we have a few beers we're like oh it's sort of horrible and sleazy and this doesn't feel good uh, we walked past this Hong Kong place, and Esmeralda, I remember, she said to the bouncer, she was like, "That place, in. Why can't we go into your club?" And and she it was really sassy. She really played him. So we got entry to this club, and I remember we got those paper wristbands, you know, the disposable ones, and no one else in the club was wearing them. Just us six women amongst all these men. And uh, uh, so we go in and we watch somebody dance. And the only difference I noticed at the start is that uh, this time the women strip until they're naked. The other place they ju- they just down to their underwear. This place, everyone was naked. Um, and I won't go into too much detail, because you should read the blog that I've written on it if you really want to know the detail. Uh, but um, it was affronting because it, was, it crossed a line from what I would call uh, stripping dancing uh, into something that felt more like sex work. There was um, uh, the women used items on themselves, on each other. The men then paid to use the items on the woman uh, in front of everybody. And at one point, I remember she would do this, she went, which meant $10, 10, uh, $10 American dollars. Uh, and the guy went, no, 5 And she went, OK. And then she used a dildo on, him, on, on her. And the men were haggling to get the woman down. And by this point, there was probably about 50 men watching. Um, and I should point out, I didn't feel unsafe. And it was really slick. It was like, it looked a bit like the top-end Ikea kitchen. It was all very wipeable and black. And strobe lighting, it felt a bit like Vegas. Um, and as the night went on, the women did this routine that went on for about an hour with each other, using items on each other. Um, and I think by the end there was probably about hundred men watching um, and putting money on their bodies. Uh, and it was, that was my first night in Mexico. <laughs> Um, and that was a lot i'd never, never seen anything like it and the, the interest, maybe one of the interesting things is not so much what the women were doing to each other it's how the men were behaving. Um, it was like a pack of animals um, and that, that was the thing that I actually found grotesque was not what the women were doing they, you know consensual adults can do whatever they want but um, It was how the men watched and how they watched in silence. It wasn't like a big, it wasn't like they weren't shouting or, it wasn't rawdy as you imagine. They were watching in silence, which was bizarre and horrific. And I should point out that that place is not unique. It's not unique to Tijuana. It's not unique uh, in many ways. And we were, we had, I would like to point out, we had lots of fun also we had lovely times and really great hopeful conversations about the future but every now and again during our trip we would talk about those two women and go, they're probably still there doing that, while well, we've seen the country in a month, those two women are still there doing those things to each other um, yes, so that was what happened but you can, if, you're, if you want to know the real details you can just google Steph Smith Mexico blog and it comes up read about it
5: but uh, Hong Kong wasn't the, the only place we stay, and we visit that night. We we walk a lot by the city by night, and I would like to to add some some thoughts about this night in Tijuana. I feel I felt that Tijuana is the by night is the center of the world. It's like to be in the just just like in the center where everything happens at the same time. No? you can see people of all the, all the skins, colors, ages, classes, uh, economic classes. you can see all the types of human walking in the street. No? and, and uh, you don't feel, um, you don't feel that you are in risk. you feel what I felt that night is the beauty of the life because all of them of we were there, we were trying to be alive are trying to have a ex- beauty experience. That's what I wrote in the in the book of Eye drivers. That for me, Tijuana is the place where you can find the beauty if you want it, <laughs> because it's hidden. But you can you can find the beauty there. You know? So it is important
6: for me. You know, I think one thing um, t- people think Tijuana is dangerous, and of course, it, it can be dangerous. There's danger anywhere if you want to find it. And, uh, and I, the way I sort of understood Tijuana by the time I left is not a city of death, it's a place where people are addicted to life, it felt like those, all this life crams up against the border. Um, I remember somebody said we spoke to a, uh, we spent time in a charity, the Women's Institute, which helps uh, women of all shapes, colour sizes, from wherever, um, who, end up, who end up in Tijuana and, uh, and they kept on saying it's the city that shouldn't exist because it's literally got a line cut down it, and it's like the whole rest of the continent butts up against into the city. So for example, when there was the earthquake in Haiti, um, lots of people came to the Americas thinking that they could get access to America. When they arrived through Mexico, um, the paperwork was denied, and so all of a sudden there was 50,000 people from Haiti in Tijuana that's the population of Edinburgh that's half the population of Edinburgh turning up not speaking the language without jobs without items no city's built to withstand that never mind one with very little infrastructure or poor infrastructure so it's a remarkable beautiful difficult place mm-hmm. yes
4: we have time for a few questions if anyone would like to ask Steph or Ximena about their journey about anything they've said today do we have a rover Sorry, we've got a microphone coming
0: to you. You mentioned Tijuana. I've been in Tijuana many years back in there. Uh, say about 40 years ago. I've been there in the Mexican Navy. And uh, my ship, well, the Navy sent us to San Diego to collect some... Uh, ships have been built in, in the United States in San Diego so having passed through Tijuana maybe one or two times uh, these years Tijuana been a beautiful uh, city and the borders were well, more no more difficult than this now how you mentioned to to uh, but I want to know if, if you've been across Mexico city, another part of Mexico. Say you mentioned Yucatan Oaxaca. And, and Oaxaca. I what mean, Oaxaca, see. Si. and uh, Well, because it's the Oaxaca's beautiful because it's the you can see all the embroideries is the pure Mexican, uh, the you know, and the culture, plus the uh, people, really beautiful, beautiful people. Uh, I've been in Mars, Atlanta, Sinaloa. I don't know, you know this place, well, all, all the coast of Pacific, and the Gulf of Mexico, so uh, this is my question only. You've been now in the actuality across the, the Mexico. That's, that's all I want to ask. Do you feel safe uh, these times you've been in here? <laughs> sorry, I can't hear you. You feel safe uh, to walk and there? Did, Did I feel safe? safe? Yeah? In Tijuana, of course. Yeah. In Tijuana by night,
3: the
5: safe the yes, world and uh, I think the Mexico, Ciudad de Mexico, Mexico City is where
4: you don't feel
0: safe. No.
4: Mm. Sorry, I'm going to have to, we only have time for one more question so could we pass the microphone up to the back there, thank you.
2: So, Steph, you've done Mexico, um, when, when, uh, when is Jimena going to come over for a Scottish road trip? <laughs>
6: well, we've been having a lot of fun in Edinburgh, so, so uh, yeah. I mean, we did speak about that, whether it would be like, it would be uh, an excellent counterpoint to show our, um, of all the Scottish outriders then got to host and show the uh, international outriders, um, so maybe another time. Well, it's interesting for the Outriders
5: project to have the opportunity from the Outriders from the other side of the world travel in mm-hmm. Scotland, no? because mm. my stay is only here. I'm going to the theater, to the Edinburgh Fest, and you know the activities about the festival. But it, um, I, I would like to know in Scotland, mm-hmm. obviously.
4: Well, uh, we'll ask the Edinburgh Book Festival for next year's Outriders. Um, thank you all very much for coming. Just now, if you have any more questions that you'd like to ask Devin Jimena, as you leave, you're all going to receive one of the Outriders book that has excerpts from all the journeys across the Americas. Please feel free to take it into the bookshop that's just outside the venue here and they will sign it for you. They don't have to, but you can also ask them questions about their journeys. If you'd like to find out about the other Outriders journeys, in about an hour, Jenny Fagan and Bonnie Jo Campbell are going to discuss traveling from Detroit to Silicon Valley, and then tomorrow Mariana Enriquez and Kevin McNeil will discuss their journey in Argentina, and tomorrow evening Maliki Talek and Jennifer Haig will tell us about their journey from North Dakota down to Mississippi. And I think that that's all for this evening. Thank you very much for coming, you. and please thank Jimena and Steph.
2: More podcasts and videos of Edinburgh International Book Festival events are available at www.edbookfest.co.uk on iTunes and YouTube.
0: Just search for Ed Book Fest. The next book festival is on from the 11th to the 27th of August 2018.